So today we're going to kick off the lesson with a quick discussion at your groups, and here's what I want you to talk about. When you are greeting each other, especially when you're greeting each other at church on Sunday morning, uh, I want you to kind of ask the que- or uh, talk about how do you normally greet each other? What are the specific words you normally say to somebody whenever you greet them? Talk about that. What is your normal style? What do you normally say? Talk about that, and we'll come back here in just a couple minutes. Well, did anybody, did anybody hear anything at your tables that was a bit odd? Did, did you hear anything other than just hello or good morning or how are you? What was, did you hear anything that was a little different? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm going to revoke your, your speaking. Uh, let's, let's go away from Major Duck for a moment. Yeah, well, Bob. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's a, good, that's a good call. Maybe I'm glad to see you. I haven't seen your name in the obituary. Is not the best way to greet somebody. Yeah, all it was, yeah. Any, anybody else have something a little, little different you heard at your table? Yeah. <laughs> nice. I like that. Anybody ever, has anybody ever lived overseas before? And wherever you lived overseas, did they have anything different they said overseas? Any? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. It's a, what, what, is it, what does it mean? Good day. Good day. Yeah. So, um, so it, it's interesting that the way, the way we greet people normally carries a significance on what we value. Right, and so, so if you, I remember whenever I lived in Australia, people would greet me with "Good day, mate," uh, and I never said that back because you don't have an American accent and say that, you know. And so, uh, but 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 there was a very uh, jovial culture where people were very friendly. I mean, very very friendly. Big difference about flying into an Australian airport and flying into LAX, right? Very, very friendly culture in Australia, not so much in LAX. So, but you, you see a difference. Um, I had a lot of people that whenever I would greet them, especially the more professionals in, in Australia, they greeted you with a kiss. And so you did the whole weird cheek thing. And if you went to the wrong side, right, you, you mess that up real quick, and so I learned real quick which side to go to uh, and, and uh, made one crucial mistake in the workplace. So, but, but you see different, different greetings signify different values. In the old Roman times, Roman soldiers, you want to know how a Roman soldier would greet each other if they were passing? They'd clasp, and what would they say? Strength and honor. Strength and honor. Right? So you're reminding each other of, of what actually matters, right? What, what instills a value in you? And so uh, Tyler, my buddy Tyler on, on the call, he was telling me this way back, and, and he goes, you know what, Christians ought to do a better job of this, right? We ought to be better than the culture because we're about something much deeper than just the everyday life, you know, the everyday culture, he goes, he goes, I'm surprised that Christians don't greet each other by saying salt and light, salt and light. And so ever since then, whenever we remember, we try, uh, when we greet each other, we greet each other with salt and light, my brother, salt and light, my brother. Uh, and, and the idea is it's a reminder of what it is we're meant to be, what it is we're meant to be doing right now. We're meant to be salt and light. If you go to, I'm just going to quickly read that passage out of Matthew, and I promise you this will all tie back to Zechariah. But real quick, I'll read out of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about this. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We are meant to be salt, which is life-giving, right? Salt, and especially the way people would have understood salt at the time, it is life-giving, and we are meant to be light, right? A light to the world. And the Jewish people would have understood this at the time as well. They really saw themselves as being God's people who would be a light to the world. And so... That command we get from, from Jesus to be the salt and light of the world, that is a big command. Right? I mean, that is a big command. It's worthy of us reminding ourselves every single time we see each other that we are meant to be salt and light. Right? It's a big command, and if you're not careful, you'll think that it's an impossible command to carry out. I say all this to say that as I read Zechariah 4 for like the 18th time, because I didn't understand it the first 17 times I read it, as I kept reading through Zechariah chapter 4, I think it gives us something deep. There's a deeper meaning in it that will help us understand how we actually follow through on that command, in particular to be the light of the world. So I want you to just keep that idea in your head as we go through this text. And we're going to diagnose and, and dissect this text. But the idea is to give us an understanding better of how to be that light. Make sense? Okay. If I see you guys on Sunday morning and you don't greet me with salt and light, my brother, I'm going to be upset. Uh, we have now made that a, a covenant of this group right here, that we are salt and light, my brother, as we, as we greet each other. So I'm going to read this text, and if you did not pick up a handout on your way in, please feel free to go back there. There's some on the table. Uh, for you guys on Zoom, the only reason I'm reading the handout is because I want it to keep that picture that I sent on email out last night. So uh, that's the only reason here. So let me read I'm going to actually read the first three verses, and then I'm going to skip down to the last portion of the text, and then we're going to cover the middle at the very end. So let me read this out of Zechariah chapter 4. It says, And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are also two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And then God, you know, really wanted to throw us a little curveball. And so right in the middle of this text, he actually talks about something different and then answers the question on what some of these visions mean towards the end. So let me pick up at the end first. I'm going to start right there in the middle of verse 10 with these seven. So he's interpreting what some of these visions mean. It says, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which ranges through the whole earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which golden oil is poured out? And he said to me, do you not know what these are? And just real quick, we can all sympathize real quick with Zechariah because did anyone else know what these things meant, you know, as you're reading through it? Absolutely not. So I, I, I just felt a little bit better as I'm reading this, that Zechariah had no idea, was asking the angel of the Lord and was getting a response here. So he says, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay, so what I want to do, because I'm sure that's clear as mud on what this vision means, 
I want to break down this vision in pieces. And if you look at it, there's a few very important pieces of the vision. One is, what exactly do these olive trees represent? Okay, the two olive trees. And, and, and feel free to look at the artwork that you have in your handout. What do the olive trees represent? What do the lamps, lampstands represent? And what does the oil represent? Right, and the bowl, sorry, and the bowl. What does the bowl represent? And so let's start with let's start with the olive trees and so we talked a little bit about olives you know everyone's sitting on their own vine and fig trees and think about this and we talked about peace a little bit uh, before but these olive trees would have been understood at the time to be a messianic prophecy but the jewish people would have also thought that they were very very specific about two major characters uh, at the time one being Zerubbabel, right? So Zerubbabel was the, the kind of governor at the time, the people, the, the one that God had anointed to bring the people back and really do the work. The task that's trying to be done here is still to rebuild the temple. And so Zerubbabel is coming from the lineage of the, the uh, kings of Judah. And so he's got really governmental control over the people to go and complete the task. So one of these olive trees was meant to represent Zerubbabel. The other would have, would have been Joshua, which anyone remember what role Joshua was playing with the people at this time? The priest, right? Joshua was the high priest. So if you think about this, and then you also have any time the, the, the Messiah was being foretold, there was this idea that the Messiah would, would really join together three major roles of God's people, the prophet, the priest, and the king, right? And so you kind of see these roles being intertwined and these olive trees being signified of, of these two pillars that were really starting to embrace these roles of prophet, priest, and king uh, all coming together. And so what I want you to, to understand from this vision is that the people would have seen these olive trees and they would have thought this is a reference to the Messiah. Okay, is that helpful? And then the Messiah in, in our terms, so what we understand today, we can look back on this and understand that not only was it a reference to Messiah, it was reference to the Messiah we know as Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's part one of this vision as we break it down. The second piece here is we see, let's go all the way down to the lampstands. And so can anyone think where else in the Bible we see a reference to lampstands being a symbol of something? Revelation. 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 How many lampstands are there in Revelation? Seven. seven. All right. Now, we, were, we talked about this idea of the number seven before in here. What does seven signify? Completeness. Completeness. You guys are awesome. I am so glad people have paid attention to Bible lessons. Either that or you all also listen to Terry Fakes. So one of the two, I don't care. But yeah, he's a great teacher. Uh, so, oh, thank you. Thank you, Gene. So seven, this idea of completeness, not just on earth, but in heaven, in the spiritual realm as well. So seven is this idea of completeness. So the lampstand in Revelations, right, references What? Light, but very, very, there's a very specific, there's a very specific reference in Revelation. Anyone know? Not necessarily the temple. I heard it over here. Who said it? The church. 
The lampstands in Revelation references the church. Remember, there's, there's seven churches, seven le- the letters, seven lampstands. So, so you see this reference of lampstand being the church. Right? So I, I want you to, to look at this vision and understand that Jesus gave this command to be the light of the world. Right? Lampstand, we use, God uses throughout the Bible to reference his people as being the light of the world. In particular, in the New Testament, we see this same symbol used to be a symbol for the church. Okay? For us, right? Not, not crossing community church building, but the church, right? The family of God, right? His sons and daughters in Christ, right? Those who have put their faith in Christ, the big C church. And so we see, I want you to see two bookends of this connection. You've got the olive trees that represent Christ. And you have the lamps, the lights, the candles that are there at the end of this process that represent us, right? That represent the church. Now, now we got to talk about agriculture for just a second. So if you are a Jewish person at this time, or even if you're just living in the ancient Near East at this time, you would have been around olive trees all the time. Everybody had their own olive business for the most part, right? Because olive, olives produce what? oil what would you be using oil for at this time everything right you used it for cooking you used it for light you used it for just all kinds of things oil was a way of life and olives were abundant especially in israel they still are to this day so if you go if you ever go to israel you'll find all kinds of relics of how people were actually pressing olives and how they are producing the oil and the whole process for creating olive oil if you think about it, that requires a huge manual effort, right? To, to, take, to go from the tree, to pick the olives, to press the olives. There's a lot of machinery involved. There's process. There's time. There's filtering. There's a lot of manual effort involved to go from an olive tree to olive oil. Does that make sense? Here's what I want you to see in this vision. You have, an, you have two olive trees, and the olive trees are sending oil through some golden pipes into a bowl, and that bowl is then taking through other pipes and going to candles, which are burning a light. This is, this is at least my major huge takeaway in this. I, want, I, think it is, I think God is being very specific to show us that there is no human intervention in this vision to get the oil from the tree to the light. Okay? Just follow me. I know this is a bit confusing. Follow me on this. If there is no human intervention to get the oil from the tree to the light, what do you think the oil represents? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I, I think the oil represents the Holy Spirit. So now keep, keep that theme. You have olive trees producing, producing olives. The Holy Spirit is then taking it to a bowl. The bowl then sends it to the lamp. What do you think the bowl represents? Any thoughts? Who sends the Holy Spirit? Yeah. We see, we, see, we see in the Bible, as the Trinity is explained, we see the ability for the Holy Spirit to be sent. We see both authority from Jesus Christ and from God the Father sending the Spirit to who? To us, right, to the church. So I, I look at this vision, and I actually see a beautiful picture of the Trinity, right? 
with a purpose. Here's the Trinity. You have the olive trees representing Jesus Christ, the source of all, right? All things. You know, think, go John 1, 1 through 5, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Through Him, all things were created, right? Jesus Christ is the source. Nothing starts in our lives without Christ, right? He is the source, right? The end goal here in this vision is that there is light, right? There is light in God's people. But that light is fueled by something that is not done by man, right? The Holy Spirit goes from Christ to the Father. The Father sends the Spirit down to fuel the light, right? So I want you to, I want you to see the Trinity all coming together in this vision before, like I said, people didn't completely understand the Trinity until like 300 AD. You know, we still struggle with the Trinity, but it wasn't even documented theology very well until 300 AD. But we see this, you know, 520 years before Christ, we see a vision that we can understand as the Trinity. But the Trinity has a purpose. What's the purpose in this vision? To illuminate, right? The purpose is to illuminate in whose life? Our life, our life. So I want you to keep that idea in your head for just a moment, and then we're going. Now we're going to go back to the middle of this text. Yes. So, so olive trees represents the sun, Jesus Christ. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. The bowl represents God the Father. Okay, and and so I see. And the reason I say the bowl is because I see it going. From the Son to the Father, the Father then sending down. Right? We see this whole inner interplay between the Trinity as the oil is given to the lampstands to fuel the light. And part of the reason I, I, I feel strongly that this is the interpretation of this vision is because of what is actually said in the middle of this text. And so let me get to that before I confuse everybody on this. So remember, what is the task that Zerubbabel has been charged to do? Right, rebuild the temple. He's gone back to rebuild the temple. They've been languishing, right? 16 years they had not been able to do it, right? And God's been telling them, I gave you a job to do. It's going to be hard, right? But that's okay. I've told you to do this. I want it to be done. So let me read this middle text and we'll come back to it. So I'm going to start in verse 4. And it says, And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are, I said? No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Now listen, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, meaning the temple. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So specifically in this text, what God is saying right, in, in, in this vision is, I gave Zerubbabel a task to do. It seems impossible. The, day, the people who despise the day of small things, what that really means is the people who, who really struggled when times were tough, when you weren't able to complete this work, 
you are going to rejoice when you see that the top stone, the plumb line, the finishing piece of this temple is done by the hand of Zerubbabel. You're going to rejoice when you see that the job I gave you to do gets done. But, go back up to verse 6. Who provides the strength for the job to get done? What's it say? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, capitalized. Holy Spirit, by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is, you've been given a task that is tough, that is struggling, right? You don't have the power to do it under your own hands, but by my spirit, it will be done. Think about this now, go back to the vision. Connect this to the vision. What is it that fuels the light? The oil. What does the oil represent? The spirit, right? We see the, the oil that go all the way through this vision to fuel the light. Not by power, not by might, not by the strength of my own right hand, but by my spirit, you will be fueled, right? So let's go back to the very beginning of this lesson. I said we, we, we greet each other with what? With salt and light, my brother. We are called to be the light of the world. Not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit. Right? By the Spirit. Group discussion real quick on this, and then we'll come back. Actually, I'm going to give you plenty of time in group discussion on this. If what I said is true, and I promise you it is because it's in the Bible, <laughs> we are called to be the light, but we can't do it under our own strength. But God says, by his spirit, it shall be done, right? And, and if you want to go back into the New Testament, you'll find G when Jesus talks about being in the, in the vine, abiding in the vine, if you are abiding in me, you will produce fruit, right? That's another illustration for producing light when you are connected to the source, right? So you see this teaching very, very consistently. But if those things are true, that we depend upon the spirit to accomplish the commands, how is it practically in our lives today, how do you depend upon the Spirit? Okay, talk about that at your tables. Get very practical about this. How do you actually depend upon the Spirit? And then we'll come back and talk. All right, well, let's, let's come back here. What did you guys think? Feel free to just kind of shout out. The, the question was, how do you actually surrender to the Spirit practically? Any, any thoughts? Prayer. What, why is prayer a way to really surrender to the Spirit? Well, we're communicating with Him. Yeah. We're listening to Him. We're right. talking to Him. Right. Yeah, hopefully we're listening to Him. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Two-way street. Yep. There's also a recognition in prayer, the very act of prayer is a recognition that you don't have all the power. Right? I mean, just think about that. I mean, it's, when you pray, you're going, I am talking to a force greater than myself about things that I can't manage on my own. Right? That little recognition, that's a very important idea of prayer. What else? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a two-way exchange, right? Yep. That's exactly right. you got to listen. 
gotta you gotta be ready to listen. And then here, here the one thing I'd add to that is I don't remember where the passage is. I need to get better at my Bible memorization, but it says something to the tune of I think it's in James. Who knows? Uh, it, it says you know when you when you pray for wisdom, right? Then have the courage to follow through, right? It's one thing if you get get an answer, then have the courage to actually do it. Uh, that's normally the harder part. What other ways to surrender to the Spirit? Those are both good. Trust. Trust. Yep. Actually act out, right? Act out in a trusting manner our faith. Yep. 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 How's a good way to test the direction you feel like you've been given by God? Well, yeah. Is it in the Word of God, right? Is it in the Word of God? Is it, is it consistent with instruction in the Word of God? If so, right, you're not going to go wrong. Yep, seek wise counsel. Talk to others in the fellowship of believers. Yep, spending time in God's Word. I want you, yeah, I want you, I want you to think about this, and, and this is an illustration I'm sure I've used 15 times, but it's just the easiest illustration. I'm sure you've heard it before as well. The, just, I want you to think practically how God seems to work, like how he's designed all of this to work. He's, he actually hasn't made this overly mysterious. He keeps telling us how he works. But the way I always think about it is, you know, if, if we are on a lake and we're in a boat and we're trying to get from one point to the next, right, God, God only asks us to raise the sails. And then he provides the wind to get us to wherever it is he's wanting us to go. But he does tell us, you need to raise the sails. right? I'll provide the power to get you there. And so these, these things we've just talked about, they're practical ways that we raise our sails. I mean, that's all it is. Uh, if you listen to Cliff Sanders, anyone here in Cliff's Sunday school class? Yeah, anyone in Cliff's Sunday school class, you know, Cliff's a Wesleyan scholar. And the, what Wesley would call this were the means of grace, right? The way that God works, the way that God empowers through us. And, and the means of grace are fairly simple. We talked about most of them. Do you, are you reading God's word? Are, are you in prayer? Are you serving, right? God actually works. Like as we serve the body, as we serve our community, that's actually a way of raising the sails. You're, you're, you're catching the empowering grace of God that way. Right? As, as we worship, right? As, I mean, a lot of you, people here in the choir, as we worship, that is a way of raising our sails. Right? As we actually live out and, tr- and live out God's commands, that's a way of raising ourselves. If, if you go back to that passage in John 15, I believe, whenever Jesus is talking about abiding in the vine, he goes, you know you are abiding whenever you are following my commands. Right? Doing all these things are ways that we practically raise ourselves and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Right? If you think about raising the sails in this vision, raising the sails is just a way of us catching the oil. Right? That's all it is. The oil is flowing. We've got the little lips there the little, to, to catch the oil, to go in and, and empower the light that we're called to be. And so what I'd probably, ch- I'd challenge you guys to do two things for application on this. Is I just, I, I want you to be constantly reminded of what we're called to be and that to do that, 
we have to surrender to the Spirit. And so when I, when I think about how we can do that, I actually would love us to make a covenant with each other here that as we greet each other in fellowship, as we see each other in church, as we come into this classroom on Wednesdays, as we do this, that we actually greet each other with salt and light, my brother, right? Salt and light, my brother. And I want you to remember that because it means your purpose is to be salt and light in this world. You are meant to be the light of the world. The church is meant to be the light of the world. What a great calling that is. But then daily, as you pray, I don't know if you start your morning with prayer, if you end your day with prayer, but I know one of my prayers that is so powerful is when I start my morning and I say, God, you have called me to be salt and light, but I cannot do it on my own strength, not by power, not by might, not by my strength, but by your spirit. I surrender today to the Holy Spirit. Fill me with wisdom. Do with me what you will lead me today, right? If that is the prayer you actually start with every morning and you have reminded yourself to surrender today to the Holy Spirit, he will work in you in ways that are just unimaginable, right? So I want you, I want us to do that if we can. Let's greet each other as a constant reminder and then pray in the morning, in particular in the morning. Pray that God would work through you, that he would drive you, that you surrender to the Spirit in day, no matter what it is that he has you doing. All right? Think about it. You're, you're doing things to catch the wind, right? Surrendering to the Spirit. I went through some pretty cryptic visions today, right? right? So any questions? Yes, sir. Major Duck. Very possible I did. Yep. Don't forget the rudder. Otherwise, you'll just wander aimlessly about the ocean. Yep. I like that. Okay, so let's 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 fulfill the illustration. The rudder would be the word of God. Okay, we we concur on that one. I like that. I like that. Yeah, sort of, yeah, he's an air, you're an Air Force guy. The only Navy people get to make those illustrations. <laughs> yeah, you were a navigator. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Anything? Hey, I'll, just, I'll, I'll end with this. If any of this confused you today, especially the Trinity, just the whole concept of the Trinity, if that confused you, I, I promise you, Everybody else is as well, right? Like, this is crazy stuff. The Trinity is, it's confusing to anyone who attempts to explain it. It's not the easiest thing in the world. And a lot of us who've been around it for a long time, we we can talk about it like it it just makes complete sense. But I'm telling you, this stuff doesn't really just immediately make sense to a lot of people. I'm I'm working with a, a friend of mine who is Hindu and has just recently become a Christian. And she sent me a text message yesterday, and it was just hilarious. She goes, I've got a question. I'm like, yeah, what, what's your question? She goes, why is it Good Friday if Jesus died on that day? I'm like, legitimate question, right? It's a, that's a, that's a, I completely understand why you would have that question, right? Questions are good, right? Part, part of this is that we can ask each other questions. We can dig into things. Be curious, right? Don't be ashamed if you don't understand all this completely because we're discovering a lot of this together. And so make sure you have an openness in your groups to to ask those kind of crazy questions. If you want to know what in the world is this Trinity thing, let's talk about it, right? Because we'll uncover the beauty of God as we discover it together. Good? All right.
I told her, I said, I go, legit question, good question. I, I was like, it was good because of what he did for us, right? He died because he loved us. He died, and it is good because of the goodness that it brought to the people he came to redeem. And um, I actually didn't do any research on that, but I thought to myself, I was like, you know, we probably ought to have a course on exactly why we call it certain different things, but I'm hoping I did, at least didn't lead her astray on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the politician in me, you know, you, you, wanna, you, you answer your own question to whatever was thrown out. So, yeah. Let's circle back. All right, before this gets out of hand into another political discussion, let's, let's pray and I'll get you guys out of here to lunch. Father, I, I thank you again for these men. You've shown us a vision 500 plus years before Christ of this great thing that you're doing, who you are, how you work, what we're meant to be, and how you will make it be. And I just ask that today that we just appreciate for a moment your majesty your goodness, what you've done, what you're doing. And that we recognize this great call to go be salt and light. What a privilege that is. And no matter what we're struggling with or dealing with in this world, the, the, the task is the same. We may not be building a physical temple, but we're building the church. And you are saying that by your spirit, you will make it be for those who surrender to you. Help us do that each day. Remind us each day. Let us be people who surrender to the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Appreciate y'all. Have a good one.